I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. We saw it. We saw it all. Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 63, which begins with Capable settling into the rear fortification to keep a lookout, and it ends with a heartbroken Nux opening up to Capable. Rounding out the week with us are Heidi Bennett and Brian Bennett from the Vibrant Visionaries podcast. Greetings. Greetings from Oakland, California. Welcome to the end of the week. We have made it at long last, and as for being in the minute, Capable has taken her sweet time between Wednesday and today, but she has also finally made it to this rear fortification. There is a interesting little story about it, but before we really settle into it, we get a quick cutaway to Furiosa hanging underneath the war rig as it rolls along, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out to how boss that is. Super boss. The fact that she can do maintenance on this vehicle while it's still rolling and hang from the underside of it while doing so, just like it's no big thing. When the scene came on, the only thing that popped in my head was, I'm just a lineman for the county. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that's what's going through her head as she's hanging under the truck. You know what it reminds me of now is when Indiana Jones goes under the truck... It's different, obviously, than what's going on with her, but they're both under the truck. But don't they use that similar sort of technique of the sort of weird stop motion-y sort of thing when he's going under there? Oh, that drop frame that thing? That drop frame thing? It feels like they do a little I think that like one, that they there. probably just filmed, they sped up the, like, they sped the footage to make it look better because he probably wasn't hanging under the truck while it was driving at full speed. Right. And <laughs> so... They probably just sped it up to make it look... Yeah, so obviously this looks way better than that, and it's more intentional. It's completely intentional, but mm-hmm. it just reminded me of that a little bit. This is definitely a situation where what they probably did is they filmed it where the rig was standing still, and then used CGI to make it look like the road was speeding underneath her and the wheels were going as fast as they are. That's the nice thing about having all of this technology, because if they were trying to do this back in Road Warrior and the original Mad Max times, they would have literally just lashed someone to the bottom of a truck and gotten up to speed. Because that's the only way they could do it. surprisingly amount of things in here than this movie that were practical when you find out later on. You're like, oh, that was all digital. You're like, no, that was 90% practical. So it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> that, like... I'm sure Shirley uh, Saron's uh, management would balk at strapping her under a speeding big rig, but uh, Miller would probably be like, nah, let's just do it. What the <laughs> yeah. hell? I'm pretty sure this is her stunt double, though. Right. We don't get a really clear shot of Charlize Theron's face, so I'm willing to put money on this being her stunt double. Yeah. In which case, they could have just done this for real. Yeah. <laughs> I could be misattributing when I talk about digitally speeding up the ground underneath her either way it looks really cool it does. and again this is where she looks integrated into into the rig color mm. matched and texture matched yeah it's one of those situations where and julia you showed me a picture like this the other day where 
she almost seems camouflaged into it. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at a picture of the rig and you're trying to find Furiosa, you're not going to see her because she just blends so well into her surroundings. Yeah, she almost needs to be pointed out to you. <laughs> like, here is a picture of a truck. Find the woman. <laughs> <laughs> not wearing a red and white sweater. Exactly. <laughs> now, they were really coy all through the press junkets and interviews before this movie came out about how Furiosa lost her arm. And I think they were saving it for the possibility of a Furiosa spinoff. But watching her work like this, I almost have to wonder, it could be that it's just as mundane as she was hanging from the bottom of the war rig and she had to reach something and she had her arm up in the guts of the engine and the thing bumped the wrong way and then suddenly no more arm. Right. It reminds me back in, I want to say the late 90s, could have also been the early 2000s. I think it was ABC, which is not the Australian broadcast company. It's the American broadcast company over here in the US. But they did a TV miniseries of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And I wish for the life of me that I had thought to look this up ahead of time, but I don't really care about it that much to really worry about who was in it. But the main character at one point has to reach through a machine and pull a lever. And this machine, because it's steampunk, has gears and stuff rolling past. And so if he doesn't time it just right, the gear is going to lop off his hand. And because it's the end of the episode in the miniseries, he reaches his hand through the machine, turns the lever, but he's not able to get his hand out fast enough and it gets crunched by the gear. Ooh. And of course, then he's like, he's in shock and he's like stumbling around the ship and then he discovers Nimoy's daughter, but that's a whole other type of thing. <laughs> but just talking about people getting their limbs damaged by engines, that's what made me think of it. <laughs> so have fun looking up that that's one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll put the legwork into it to find a clip on YouTube and post it to the listener page. I don't think I've forced my future self to do anything of that nature in a while. <laughs> Getting back to the rear of the tanker, we've got Capable, and she's staring out at the open wasteland with all of the excitement that one would expect to see on the face of someone staring out at sand and not much else. (laughs) Yeah. This really evoked, I think, the music, the clouds, the contrast of her hair, the lenses because she has her goggles and the binoculars this wistful somewhere over the rainbow vibe to me Mm. just this little moment here with the the sky and the clouds and and then the way the music changes here and and, in her expression like you're saying like with the excitement or whatever this is probably after everything going down this is her first time able to be alone and not having to put on a face for, you know, the other, the younger wives or whatever. And just kind of like, ah, I need to just, you know, <laughs> man, what are we doing? I just, why? Processing. <laughs> Processing. It's just, yeah, it's like the first time they can just let her guard down, just stare and zone out and like, yeah, exactly. When did she get those goggles? Had those all... I think she's had them the entire time. The whole time? I'm trying to remember if she had them or if she was putting them on when she was, like, having her stare down with Furiosa in the last minute. She's had them on all this week. 
they were on when she's, she she's did had the them stare on. down. Okay, she's had them on all the time. It's they're probably farther back as more of like a you know headband or beret. We haven't thought about it up until this point. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I haven't been watching this one minute at a time like some people have. <laughs> no, you would think that we would notice it. Let me try and pull up an earlier minute, like minute 35, for instance, where Max is holding them hostage. And if I scrub through it, she's not wearing the goggles during the water scene. So she must have gotten them somewhere between then and the canyon scene. I think she had them in six, the beginning of 61, like when they were chasing Cheeto. I think she had them on there. Yeah, because she doesn't have them in the canyon when they're hiding in the tanker. Keep scrubbing through, keep looking. Capable in the case of the disappearing goggles, or <laughs> appearing goggles. And so she's not wearing them in minute 57 when they were facing down Joe. So yeah, she must have gotten them in the tanker. After Angharad died? Yeah. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. When they run after Cheeto, she's not wearing them. So, yeah, she must have picked them up during that fade to black. Yeah. <laughs> well, we said we didn't know how much time had gone by. So. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Enough time has gone by that she was able to rifle through the war rig and find a pair of goggles to put on her face. It was Amazon Prime same day delivery. There you go. <laughs> yeah. The drones are still flying. <laughs> Did she put them on because she was looking for an opportunity to leave the cab? And they would be useful, even though she never put them on over her eyes. They would be useful if she had to go outside. In the event of a death, uh, death storm. A death storm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the, the goggles would do nothing in a death storm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wonder if she was looking for an opportunity. What are the guys wearing? The ones that are um, the motorcycles? I would assume they were wearing goggles because they might have... They might have um, just, you know, in the kerfuffle, might have ended up in the from that last fight. Possible. Yeah. It could also be that they were left over from war boys that used to be mounted on the tanker in the rig type of thing. Because I specifically went back and also looked at the goggles that Nux was wearing. Because Nux would, of course, have those goggles maybe on his person, like falling off his head, put in his pocket sort of thing, but they're not the same goggles. They're okay. a different shape altogether. So, so they're not the ones that maybe fell off of him. There was probably just a box of eyewear in the rig because sometimes you drive through sandstorms and you don't want to get sand in your eye. <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense. The big box of PPE down there. Exactly. They may not have OSHA, <laughs> but I'm sure they do have standard operating procedures for safety on the job. They may sure. be half-life, but you got to get at least half of a life out of them before they die. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned earlier that there is a funny little story about this rear fortification. Now, it's outlined when you go out and get the trade paperback version of the Mad Max comic books. In the back of the books, it describes the story of each individual part of the war rig. And this mm. embankment right here is actually a little sad, but also a little romantic, I guess. The story is that it's a VW Beetle that used to belong to a young couple. And these women got tired of living in modern life, and so they just packed up all of their stuff, got in the Beetle, and drove. And when they ran out of gas, 
they made camp and that's just where they lived. They didn't have their phones. They didn't have their radios. It was just the two ladies living together out in the wilderness, camping and whatnot. And they left six months before the fall of civilization. So when everything hit the fan and institutions started falling apart and bombs started flying through the air, they didn't have any idea of what was going on. And unfortunately for them, they were camped out fairly close by to a secret military site that was targeted by nuclear missiles. And so the missiles weren't close enough to destroy them right out, but they were downwind enough to get the full brunt of the fallout. And these poor ladies just curled up in the back of this VW Beetle and succumbed to radiation poisoning. And they weren't found for like another nine years when they were stumbled upon by the war boys. That's awful. Yeah. I mean, most post-apocalyptic stories are awful. (laughs) True. It's a nicer way to go than the story of where they got the double engines from. That's for sure. But I don't want to give too much away because gall darn it, people go out and buy the trade paperback. Do it. (laughs) Do it now. Pause this podcast. Go on whatever book buying thing you use whether that's amazon or your local bookstore and just buy the trade paperback so you can have it in your home (laughs) but when the war boys found it they were surprised at how well preserved it was because it just sat there it wasn't running or doing anything like that It was just sitting and so they dragged it back to the citadel and there was one particular guy that was in charge of putting together the war rig they nicknamed him the donk and he incorporated it as a fortification in the back of the tanker, just so they could mount their uh, turrets to it. Did you say mount their turds to it? Turrets. <laughs> mount their turrets. <laughs> Turret syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> this will probably feel free to cut this out. I have, I have a thing that it annoys me is that how it seems in a lot of popular films like this, and it's most egregious in Star Wars, how every nut and bolt gets an elaborate backstory mm-hmm. that seems to be like, just seems it can't be left alone about like, it seems odd. No, the, I'm sure that the, the trade paperback is a nice story and it was a way to forget them you know, being able to tell a story. But like the idea of like, we need a backstory for the, the chunk of Volkswagen bug on the back of this trailer it kind of that stuff just bugs me occasionally just like why why does everything need to be explained to the nth degree can't we just leave something to the imagination and but yeah feel free to cut that out that was just my little rant (laughs) no i think you're fine i sometimes bemoan the fact that we don't have a wikipedia where i can point at someone and be like oh yeah that's so and so and they did such and such a thing but What I like about the supplemental material at the back of the trade paperback is that it's flavor. It's not stuff that you need to know. Like sometimes with Star Wars, there are books that if you don't read, that you lose out on a huge chunk of the story. Like you can watch Fury Road a million times and never know the backstory of one part of the war rig and it won't diminish your enjoyment. The same cannot always be said for things in other sources of media. Mm-hmm. And so I like that it exists, but I also like that it's not required. Yeah, I can see that. I just I think sometimes with my, my problem is when things get retconned that yeah. change how like I enjoyed the, the movie or so. Mm-hmm. 
where it, and it felt like it wasn't a necessary retcon. It was just something that someone decided to do, but then it changed the impact of the of whatever the film was for me. It, like it, mm. it altered the story and kind of made something seem more trite. I can't think of any exact example right now, but I've, I've definitely had that in the past where it's like, something like, oh, you know the history of that, right? And I was like, well, that wasn't anywhere in the movie. And <laughs> now that makes what I liked about this film seem insignificant. Yeah. So that's the danger of it. Well, the whole reason I brought up the backstory is because this VW bug is a remnant of a couple that just tried to go off and be together. And here in this minute, it has now once again become a vessel for a couple that don't know that they're going to be a couple yet, but it's their meet cute. So it's the VW Beetle bringing people together again, even if that's, you know, not what it thinks it's going to do. I, I like that you <laughs> called it their meet cute. I was, <laughs> thinking, I was thinking that in my head as well. And then I realized it's, it's not exactly their meet cute. I mean, they are meeting and it is cute. But they have met once before. Yeah, she threw him out the side of the truck. Yeah, so I think <laughs> down the road when they're telling the story of how they met, that story of when she threw him out of the truck is their meet cute. <laughs> as much as it would be nice that this is the story, they have met before. Yeah. I think that makes it richer, though. You know, like, well, when I first met him, he was like this. And he then was I trying was to strangle that. the driver. <laughs> <laughs> so we threw him out of the truck and then he came back. But then I found him and he looked like a little sad turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see Nux and I suddenly need a gallon of lip balm. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. yes. I really love, just genuinely love how the only reason that Capable turns around is because Nux is whimpering and she turns around and the first thing she says is, oh, what are you doing here? And it's <laughs> so much kinder than I think Nux deserves. Like you would expect her to say, oh, what are you doing here? As in, I literally threw you off the vehicle and now you're just back. You know, the first time when she threw him off, he was a wild animal. Now he's an injured animal. Mm hmm. You know, she could definitely, like, immediately, like, assesses, like, oh, you're no way a threat. So, yeah. And so much has happened to each of them individually since he got tossed. Yeah, talk about your your worldviews changing in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Both of them are arguably completely different people. I think that's a good line to pursue, because I'm looking at Nux here, and I'm pretty sure that Nux is still all in on the Immortan Joe stuff because his major hang-up is that Immortan Joe saw Nux's blood bag driving the rig that immediately resulted in Angharad's death. Like, one of the wives went under the wheels because Nux's blood bag was helping facilitate it. And he knows in his head that he is forever going to be associated with that incident. And so he has permanently lost the favor of his god king yeah he, he really screwed up at work yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, he doesn't want to go back to the office <laughs> and he had several opportunities and he messed up every single one have you ever seen those videos of those guys in a warehouse situation and they're driving a forklift and they slip or something goes wrong like they forget to put on the parking brake and before you know it the forklift has gone into an upright and the entire warehouse collapses and product just goes everywhere. 
I've seen that in real life. <laughs> yeah, that ran through, that, that, those images ran through my head every time I was behind the wheel of a forklift when I was a warehouseman. Yeah. I'm just like, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> and I worked at a warehouse where you had the opportunity, if you wanted to, you know, to be someone who applied for, learned, you know, was trained to um, drive a forklift. And there was one person who comically, you know, never never got that certification because they'd try to give him, you know, practice runs and he would run into things and cause chaos all the time. I imagine that the people that cause accidents like that, maybe not all of them, but maybe at least a few have reactions like Nux is having right now. This whole, I will never live this down. This has ruined all of my prospects for what I envisioned in my life. And now I just want to curl up and hide. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. I find it very interesting that he has curled up and is whimpering, and his his biggest thing is about Joe seeing his own blood bag driving the rig. Mm-hmm. When we talked about Joe responding to Nux's mistake by calling out mediocre, we were talking about it a bit in the context of that's the thing that really separates Joe from Nux is that Nux screwed up so badly right in front of Joe. Yeah. That's not playing a part here. That's not what has driven a wedge between them in Nux's eyes. In Nux's eyes, it's the fact that his own blood bag was driving the rig. Sure. Nux getting tripped up is one thing. Like, you can walk back from getting snagged on a chain. That you can fix. You can't fix a dead wife. (laughs) No, no, you can't. (laughs) At least not in this series of movies. (laughs) Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say. And so Nux, he follows up that statement about he saw my blood bag and whatnot. And he starts banging his head against the floor of the enclosure because he is just so heartbroken about it that he's turned to self-harm. And capable, thank goodness she's there because she places her hand on his head and stops him. Like... I don't think she necessarily physically stops him, but she tells him to stop. <laughs> and then she keeps her hand in place until he does. She doesn't withdraw. She's there to support him because she can tell how hurt and damaged he is right now. And who knows, like, next is, like, the story. This may be the first time he's had, like, a compassionate touch communication, mm-hmm. too. Like everything before was, though, that their war boys was, you know, slaps and grabs and headbutts and, you know, like basically getting everyone really amped up. And it's the first time that's just been like, hey, you okay, buddy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's capable superpower is her ability to touch and to comfort. That's really what she's good at. Yeah, she's got that power of compassion. Maybe <laughs> compassion should be her name instead of capable. <laughs> Not that she's incapable. She absolutely is. Well, see, that's the thing. She's capable of having compassion for others. <laughs> right. <laughs> Heidi, given your background of helping people to manage their situations and, I guess, deal with the stresses of life, obviously, this is an extreme situation. Yes. This isn't Nux having to juggle deadlines or anything like that. He's, he's having to just dr- juggle death. Um, what's your assessment of this situation, looking at it from your angle well the definition of compassion is to recognize suffering so 
self-compassion is recognizing your own suffering. So that's something I work with a lot with people just because they don't understand, like, whether it's they've lost a loved one or they've just stubbed their toe. They still want to give themselves compassion, even if, you know, if it's something like, I need time to heal and grieve, whatever that means, or, ow, that freaking hurts, my toe just got stubbed. It's both self-compassion. Then compassion for others, like you guys just mentioned here, she's reaching out and intuiting that he needs something and that perhaps a gentle hand on his head that's also kind of doing that like quit it quit it quit it you know <laughs> like trying to keep him from continuing to to you know bang his head is that she's saying i am here with you in this moment and in this moment i witness your suffering so mm. much like they want to be witnessed when they do their kamikaze missions she is truly witnessing him and saying i see you compassion doesn't mean that you have to feel what the person is feeling it just means that you are and this is why it takes some practice and some training although some people are just sort of naturally born with this ability but it's really to say I'm here with you, even if I don't fully understand what it is you're going through, I understand that you're suffering. So yeah, she's doing that for him because he's obviously, he's giving her some pretty clear <laughs> signs of pain and humiliation and, and stress. I love that you brought up the idea that she is witnessing him because I think with the war boys, you get witnessed in death, like as you are dying and she is challenging that idea by witnessing him in life totally saying you need to stop being self-destructive and just allow yourself to be seen i'm here to see you and i love that idea when we feel that compassion and that camaraderie and that touch that's not a bad touch <laughs> it's a good touch right is yeah where we can start to become someone in our own skin so he has always been sort of a sacrificial character where his worthiness is from his sacrifice and his being willing to do anything for the job. And she is showing that he has worthiness in his most vulnerable state. And once he's calmed down a little bit, that's where she's able to take her hand away and lean back. Nux goes on to say that Three times, and he actually stutters a little bit. For three times, the gates were open to me. And Capable doesn't quite get the reference. I don't think the mythology of the cult of the V8 is something that the wives are educated in because they need to be kept separate from the war boys for Joe's purposes. But Nux explains the gates of Valhalla, and he'll go into more of that on Monday. But he mentions three times, and I feel like the spray. The chrome spray signals the gates of Valhalla preparing to accept a warrior. But unless there's an instance that I'm forgetting, I think he's only been sprayed with the chrome paint twice in this movie. So obviously the first time the gates were open would be during the toxic storm when he sprayed himself and tried to firebomb the war rig. I think the second time that he's talking about is when he ran after the war rig, got on it, put the brakes on the fuel pod and then tried to strangle Furiosa. And that the third time would obviously be when Joe sprayed him and then he 
failed to kill Furiosa by getting snagged on the chain. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so me. if he's operating on a three strikes you're out situation, he's striked out three times. And for a person involved with a cult that puts so much on this idea of dying a glorious death and being witnessed and being accepted into the gates of Valhalla, that is devastating. Mm -hmm. It's like those dreams that you have where there's someplace you know you're supposed to go and you're trying to go there, but you can't. Things keep getting in the way and preventing you. And I hate those dreams. They are frustrating and they make me feel stuck and heavy and gross. So I can imagine he's probably feeling stuck and heavy and gross. If you have tried three times, then there is an assumption that that is what your purpose is. So if mm. those three times have failed, then what is your purpose and who are you? Which is, you know, she gets into this in, in minutes that we won't be here for. But she, she sees that he has the capability for another purpose. The way that some of these weeks end out, it really just works for our purposes. This week in particular, the way it ends, it lops off the really meaty part of the scene, and I wish that we could keep you around, but I don't want to keep dragging you back out here week after week <laughs> after week. But here at the end of the week, if people did want to hear more from you, where should they go? They can find me at vibrantvisionaries.com for my current podcast, and if they're interested in what I have to say and what you all have to say on my other Movies by Minutes podcasts, you can go to SpinalTapMinute.com and CabinMinuteCast.com. And that was for The Cabin in the Woods. And because this episode is dropping at the end of the first week of August, there is yet another way to see all of us. And that is a little thing that we are calling MXM Portland 2019. So it stands for Movies by Minutes. And pretty much not everybody, but a majority, I'd say, or at least a significant amount of yes. Movie by Minutes podcasters are going to be all converging on Portland. Oregon. Yep. Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. <laughs> Important distinction. But that is going to be on August 24th at the Clinton Street Theater. You can go to the Clinton Street Theater's website. It's https colon slash slash because we're on public broadcasting in the 90s and that's what they say. <laughs> CST for Clinton Street Theater, PDX for Portland dot com. And you can go there, check out their calendar. I don't know if they're selling tickets as we're recording. They're definitely selling tickets now that the episode has dropped, so you can check it out there. Brian and I will be there. Rick and Julia will be there. Mm -hmm. And it's also a, a podcaster's social, you know, so it's something where you can go listen to a few different podcasts recorded live, you know, socialize <laughs> and hang out and meet other podcasters and meet other podcast listeners. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a smaller type of event where you're really doing a lot of hanging out. And, and that's one of the things I like about how things have come together in the previous two meetups that we've had. So this is going to be the third year that we've done it. The first time around was Chicago, and then we did Denver back in 2018. So the more years that we do it, the more established we get, the, I think, better the programs get. Last year in Denver, Julia got to be part of 
of a panel discussion, and Heidi, you were on it too, what it's like being a woman in the MXM community. And I think if you listen to our podcast, I think you've got a sense of it because a lot of people like me like to dominate the conversation. <laughs> Julie has to elbow her way in there, which I I try to work on. But that was a lot of fun. We've heard crossover episodes of Star Wars Minute and Indiana Jones Minute recording stuff. Back to the Future Minute did a breakdown of Back to the Future, the ride. Tons of really interesting stuff. And the hangouts are so much fun afterwards. We usually get together at a local bar or restaurant and hang out afterwards. So if you've got the geographic ability and the time to do so, definitely join us at MXM 2019 at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. Sounds good. As for us, we are going to be coming back on Monday when Capable and Nux are going to get philosophical and Toast will find out that they just don't have enough bullets. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 63 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>